0: We're doing a series here at Thrive. It is called A Luke at Jesus. Everyone say A Luke at Jesus. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at the amazing, incredible, irreplaceable life of Jesus according to the gospel of Luke. And if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter 3 verse 23. Chapter 3 verse 23. Luke 3 23. If you're wondering where Luke is, it's in your New Testament. Second half of your Bible. Third book in the New Testament where you look at Luke chapter 3 verse 23. We've had an amazing time going through this Luke at Jesus and we are looking forward to giving you this message this morning. I'm really excited to give it to you. I think it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be very encouraging for many of you here in this place this morning. Turn your Abraham him say, get ready for something great. Get ready for something great. Let me give you the title of my message right off the bat. The message today is called "Give It Time." Would you turn to your neighbor and say, "Give It Time"? Now, at first, it might not be immediately apparent why I call this message "Give It Time." But if we do, as what the title says, and give it time, you will see why I call it Give It Time. And so just give it a bit of time, and what we're going to talk about today is something called Give It Time. Let me begin with a question for you this morning, is when it comes to your grandparents— Not your parents, but your grandparents. What's the most memorable gift or the most memorable thing you ever received from your grandparents? Let me tell you a little bit about my grandfather on my dad's side. Uh, Many people would tell me growing up that my my grandfather and I uh, were a lot alike, that we had a lot of things in common. Uh, one of the things is that we have the same name. Uh, many of you guys know that my name is JB. J stands for Justin. People are always wondering, what does the B stand for? Does it stand for Bieber? And the, the answer is no. The answer, usually people go, oh, it's a Bieber. <laughs> it's a Bieber. No, it's not Bieber. Um, B, the B stands for Benjamin. It's because my grandfather, his name is Benjamin, and so I take his middle, my middle name from his first name. And so that's one way that we, uh, you know, what's one thing we share in common. Another thing that people would often say to me growing up was that, oh, yeah, you, you, you dress a lot like your grandfather. Your, your, your fashion sense is very similar. I was never sure really, if that was an insult or a compliment. I was never really kind of sure about that. Another thing that we shared to, uh, w- in common was that we both loved bananas. Uh, back when I was 17, 18 years old, uh, I was really into eating healthy, like fruits and vegetables pretty much only. And so I would eat a bunch of bananas throughout the week. In fact, I think my record for a, like, number of bananas eaten in one day is nine. Have you eaten nine bananas one day before? I don't recommend it, all right? That, 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 and I just ate a lot of bananas back in the day. And my grandfather loved bananas as well. And so whenever I'd go visit him at his house, I'd bring a bunch of bananas. And I'd share one banana with him. We'd eat and we'd talk over eating bananas. And he'd even greet me the same way every time he sees me. Every time I step into his house, he has this, he's got this interesting voice. He's like, eh, Jabe, where is your banana? it's kind of a strange question to ask a grandfather or grandson, but it's because we just loved bananas. We like to eat bananas together. But why do I mention that? It's good because I'm asking today, what is the most memorable thing you ever received from your grandparents? Let me tell you what's the most memorable thing I've ever received from my granddad. Is that uh, I remember I was about 22, 23 years old. I was at his house, and he gave me this green translucent binder. I was like, what's this? I opened it up, and it was our family tree. And see, not a family tree like one of those tournament brackets that you come and see, but it's like it was a binder with kind of tab after tab and page after page explaining our family tree, explaining his siblings, his eight, nine siblings, and the kids that they have and where they are now, the grandkids, the great-grandkids, and, and he would just go through every generation. And all of a sudden, as I'm flipping from page to page, I can see people that I've never met before that somehow I'm now connected to. It was really cool. It was such a really cool experience just to see people whose names I'm not familiar with, but yet somehow I had a connection to those people. Why do I mention that today? It's because today in the book of Luke, we are looking at Jesus's family tree. We're looking at what is called Jesus' genealogy, his ancestral line. And in just a few seconds, we're going to read a bunch of names of people who make up Jesus' ancestral line. This is not the easiest passage in the Bible to read, much less the easiest passage to preach on, but we're going to go through it today. And we're going to find this as we dig deeper into this passage, I believe we're going to learn some powerful truths that are going to help you and encourage you today. Are you guys ready? Ready? Are you guys ready? Here we go. So, we're going to try this, and there are a lot of names. In fact, we're going to try to read 78 names in the span of about, about a minute and a half. All right? You can do it. Turn around and say, You can do this. And so we're gonna do this fast. We are going to do this quick. And so if you're not sure how to pronounce something, don't worry about it. Just make it up. And we're just gonna keep on going. Are you right? Are you ready? Here we go. So verse 23 says, "Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Negai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simmain." son of Josek the son of Jodah the son of Joanan, the son of Reisa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melki, the son of Adi the son of Costem, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer the son of Orjoram, the son of Methath, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Maliah the son of Mena, the son of Methatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Dolas, the son of Sam, and the son of Nashon the son of Abinadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, Jacob, sorry, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarag, the son of Rue, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of mahalalel the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Thess, the son of Adam, the son of God. Give God a big hand here in this place right now. Woo. Gotta love a genealogy. Man, what a long list of names. What crazy names are in there too, right? You know, Love, love that name. Salmon. Love that. That's really cool. You know, s- Some of the people in this list are, of course, famous biblical characters. Jesus' father Joseph is there. David is there. Uh, Abraham is there. Noah is there. But there's probably going to be a lot of names that are in there that you're not familiar with that are hard to pronounce. In fact, when I look at some of these names, I think to myself, I, I feel like I'm, I'm looking at the names of characters in a Star Wars movie, right? Like, Luke, I am your father. Where is your, so- where is your brother, Mathat? You know, where is your son milky you know and or or they sound like almost pokemon names doesn't methuselah sound like a pokemon you know, well, how much HP does he have? What attacks does he have? You know, can we, we've got to catch them all. And, and see, here's the thing, is what, what can we learn? What can we learn from this list of names that make up Jesus' genealogy, his ancestral line? Well, first off, let me address a question that very often people have about the genealogy of Jesus. Because you've got to do this, is, is this, if you compare the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke with the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to find they're kind of different. Have you noticed that before? Have you ever tried looking at those two genealogies before? Matthew has a genealogy. Luke has a genealogy. Both of Jesus. But they're a little bit different. First off is that Luke's genealogy is a lot longer than Matthew's. Luke's genealogy covers about 78 names that we just read. 78 names that represent 78 generations. Matthew's genealogy skips generations, and it covers about 42 generations. Not just that, but you're going to find that some of the names in Luke's genealogy and the names in Matthew's genealogy don't match. For example, if you look at Matthew's genealogy, Joseph's father is called Jacob, but in Luke's genealogy, Joseph's father is called Heli. And other than the possibility that, okay, maybe Matthew is skipping some generations, what's the reason why these names don't match. See, over the centuries, Bible scholars have been trying to wrestle with this question, trying to think of what could possibly be the reason why they don't match. Why are these differences there? And let me just give you a couple theories that people have been positing about why these two genealogies might be different. One theory is this. One theory is that Matthew's genealogy is talking about Jesus' ancestral line through his dad, whose name is Joseph, whereas Luke's genealogy is talking about Jesus' ancestral line going through his mom, also known as Mary. And so that's why the two lines are a little bit different. And to support that, some people say, well, when you look at the book of Matthew, and you look at how Matthew recounts Jesus' birth, it's all talking about it from the perspective of Joseph, his dad. When you look at Luke and you're reading about Jesus' birth, it's all talking about it from the perspective of Mary, his mom. And so maybe the genealogies also reflect that difference as well. Luke is, is telling us Jesus' genealogy through Mary, and then Matthew's talking about Jesus' genealogy through Joseph. That's one of the possible theories. Here's another possible theory. And for this one, I'm going to need uh, a, a, a few volunteers. I'm going to ask, uh, hey, uh, can Paul, can I, can Paul, can I get you? Paul, why don't you come up? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's get okay, Andy, can you come up? Or sorry, uh, is that Ricky? Ricky, oh Ricky, why don't you come up? Okay, Uh, let's say, uh, uh, let's see. I I think she did this in their first service as well. Uh, I'll get uh, to come up as well, and let's get one more person. Let's get one more person. One more person. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna ask uh, uh, Cyrus, why don't you come up as well? Cyrus, why don't you come up as well? Okay, let's gonna give all of our volunteers a big hand right now. Okay, all right. Okay, okay, fantastic. Here we go. Here we go. So this is what we're gonna have happen right now. Okay, you you guys are gonna play husband and wife. Okay. All right. I know that's a bit awkward, but the, the, the husband and wife. Okay. Okay. And then what's going to happen is, Cyrus, uh, I know uh, you, you're, you're you're quite tall, but you're going to be a baby. Okay. Can, can you can you just can you just sit here at the bottom of, uh, of at, at my feet right now? Okay. Okay. Uh, and what's going to happen is, uh, Paul, for just a moment, just just to stand on the side for a moment. Okay. Here we go. See another theory for why the two genealogies of Jesus in Matthew and Luke are different has to do with Jewish marriage laws. They say this is that according to Jewish marriage laws, if a husband and wife are married, can you kind of look at least at like you're a little bit married, okay? Just a little, yeah, okay. There, okay, there, okay, that's okay, that's good. Okay, I, I want you to do this, is uh, what what's, what they said is this, is that according to Jewish marriage laws, if a husband and wife are together, but the husband dies before they have children, could you just pretend to die just now? Yeah, okay, uh, okay, all right, all right. So 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 uh, he's dead, okay, he's dead. And what happens is that the nearest male relative of the deceased husband, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a cousin, maybe it's an uncle, would step in his place and marry... The widow, and so so that's Paul. Paul, Paul do not you come in? Okay, okay, and then why not you not you lock arms? Okay, lock arms. Okay, that's good. And, and and see what ends up happening is that his role is to carry the lion of his deceased relative, and say they have a baby, and it is Cyrus. All right, can Cyrus? Can you give can you give a a a, a wine or a whale as a baby? He's a giggly baby. What can I say? And, and so, and so what, what happens is this, is that say in this new marriage union, there's a baby, there's a son. What they'll say about the son is, in some cases, they'll say, this is the son of the new living husband. In some cases, they will also say, this is the son of the deceased first husband. And so that's where there can be a difference as well. Can we give all our volunteers a big hand in this place? Thank you so much, guys. That's great. Great job. Great job. pretending to be married. That is good. Very good. And see, that is possibly another reason why the genealogies in Matthew and Luke are different, is that they're focusing on a different husband, but it's still correct. And see, here's the thing. As interesting as those differences are, the fact is this. Luke's genealogy about Jesus teaches us a very powerful truth about who Jesus is. And what is that truth? Why don't you write it down this morning? But what is that truth we need to learn about who Jesus is? It's this. Number one is this. Jesus is not only the Messiah the Jews are waiting for, but Jesus is the Savior, the world. Is waiting for. See, what does that mean? See, Matthew, when you look at the book of Matthew, Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews. His goal is to show Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. He is this Savior King that the Jewish people have been expecting and waiting for for centuries. He is the Messiah that the Jewish Hebrew Bible has been prophesying about for centuries. And so when Matthew is listing Jesus' ancestral line, he starts with the founding fathers of Israel— there's abraham there's isaac and jacob he starts there and he goes forward in time he goes through king david who is now you know the greatest king in israel and he goes keeps on going he goes all the way to jesus to show that jesus is a legitimate rightful heir of the throne of king david he is the messiah that the jews have been waiting for that is matthew he's writing as a jew to jews but luke is not a jew and Luke is not writing to Jews. He's writing to a guy called Theophilus, who is not a Jew. And what he's doing is Luke is he's doing a, this genealogy to show that this Jesus that everyone is talking about, not only is he relevant to Jews, he's relevant to every human being on the planet. And how does he do that? Luke, he takes his genealogy and he starts with Jesus. Verse 24, and he goes backward in time. He goes through the generations. He goes past David, past Isaac, past Jacob, past Abraham. He goes all the way to the very beginning to show that Jesus is a descendant of the first man, Adam, whom he calls the son of God. And why does he do that? It's because Luke is trying to make a very important point, which is that if we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, and Jesus is also a descendant of Adam and Eve, that means that Jesus can identify with you and me that means that Jesus can relate to you and me that's why that's because somehow in some way we are all part of the same family if that is the case and see in other words Jesus is not just for a specific nation he's not just for a specific people group Jesus is for everyone See, Jesus is not just for church-going Christians. Jesus is for every person. Jesus is not just for you and the guys and gals in your small group. Jesus is for the cashier at the store that you're going to be shopping at later on today. Jesus is for the server who's going to give you food later on at that restaurant. Jesus is for that gas attendant who's going to help fill up your gas later on in your car. It's because Jesus is not just for one group of people. He is for everybody. If you believe that, say amen. And see, just as Luke is showing that Jesus is relevant, not just to Jewish people, but to every person on this planet. See, I don't know if you know this, but here at Thrive, we make it our goal every single Sunday at every single worship service to show that Jesus is relevant to your lives. That he's relevant to you and to me, to everyday ordinary people, you and me. We have something to do with Jesus. Jesus has something to do with us. He can change our lives. And see, as a follower of Jesus, I'll encourage you to make that your goal as well. Is that your goal would be to show your kids that Jesus is relevant, that Jesus matters? It's your goal is to show your spouse Jesus matters. Your goal is to show your neighborhood Jesus matters. Show your classmates Jesus matters. Show your show, show your show your colleagues that Jesus is relevant to them too. If you believe that, say Amen. Amen. See, that's the first big truth that we can learn from Luke's genealogy of Jesus. The second is this, and you write this one down too. The second is this. Jesus is not only the son of man. Jesus is also the son of God. That's the second lesson we can learn from Luke's genealogy. Now, here's a tip for reading the Bible. Can I give you a Bible reading tip this morning? You ever come across a passage in the Bible that you don't really understand? This is what I do when I come across a passage in the Bible that I don't quite understand. You know what I do? When I come across a passage in the Bible that I don't quite understand, I make a sandwich of it. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that when I come across a Bible passage I don't understand, I go to Subway, I order a tuna footlong with extra olives, I skip the pickles and I skip the passage and say, forget it, I'm not going to think about it? No, what I mean is this, is when I say make a sandwich, I mean look at what happens immediately before that passage and look at what happens immediately after after that passage. In other words, you want to get some context. And see, what happens immediately before this genealogy of Jesus? If you were here last week, we looked at it last week together. We looked at the baptism of Jesus. What happens to the baptism of Jesus? Jesus, he gets into the water, he's getting baptized, he comes out of the Jordan River, and as he's coming out, the the, the, the Bible says that a voice from heaven, God the Father, speaks to Jesus. And what does he say? He says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. In other words, at Jesus. Jesus' baptism, God the Father is affirming, Jesus, you are the Son of God. That's what happens at the baptism. That happens before the genealogy. What happens after the genealogy? Well, we get to the temptation. Of Jesus. That's where the spirit leads Jesus into the desert. And while he's in the desert, Satan comes and tempts him. He says, Jesus, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. What he's saying? He's saying, if you are the son of God. Whereas Jesus at his baptism was affirmed as the son of God. Now at his temptation, he's being questioned. On whether he's the son of god and right in the middle of these two sandwiched in between these two significant moments you have this genealogy and in this genealogy we see jesus ancestral line being traced all the way back to adam whom they call the son of god the first son of god and whereas this son of god adam was tempted in the desert or tempted in the garden and he sinned jesus this new adam would be tempted in the desert and he would not sin whereas this old Adam would have choices or make choices that would lead to sin and death and destruction for him and for every descendant after him. Jesus, this new Adam, would make choices that would lead to righteousness, peace, and life, not just for him, but for everyone who places their trust in him. Amen. And see, and to prove... That Jesus truly is not just the Son of Man, but he's also the Son of God. This Son of Man slash Son of God, Jesus, lived a life that no ordinary human being could live. He lived a life that only God in the flesh could live. A life that fulfilled all of God's requirements. And not only did he do that, but he died on the cross. Not for his own sins, but he died because he loves you and me. He didn't want us to be separate from God forever. And so he said, you know what? All your sins, all your mistakes, all your failures, all your regrets, place them on me and I will receive the punishment that you deserve for that sin. I will die on the cross for you. And after he was buried, he rose again from the grave on the third day to show that truly he's not just the son of man. Jesus is the son of God. Come on, give Jesus a big hand here in this place together because he is the son of God. Turn neighbor and say, he's the son of God. And see, in doing these things, Jesus showed that he's not just the son of man, he's the son of God. And in so doing, he became the perfect mediator between God and man, the perfect mediator between heaven and earth. That's the second lesson we learned from Luke's genealogy, is that we learn that Jesus is not just the Son of Man, he's the Son of God. Is this helpful in this place so far? It's amazing what we learn from Jesus' genealogy. Amen. Third lesson, and we're in close this morning. The third lesson we can learn from this passage is this it comes from verse 23. Would you read verse 23 with me right now? Look at verse 23 with me, and in a big loud voice, let's just read the first sentence together. One, two, three, what does it say? Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you underline these words? About 30 years old. About 30 years. want to underline those three, four words there. See, some scholars find this year thirty significant. For, for, for example, in the Old Testament, they say that thirty was the age when often a person's ministry would begin. Uh, you know, for example, Joseph he became the prime minister of Egypt at the age of thirty. David he became the king of Israel at the age of thirty. Ezekiel was called as a prophet of God at the age of thirty. And they say that you know if you want to serve in the house of God and you're a Levite, uh, you know you can serve the house of God at the age of thirty. And so some scholars they think okay thirty he's about thirty years old that's kind of significant. But I don't want to focus on that today. Today, I want to focus on this fact. See, Jesus began his ministry when he was about 30 years old. In other words, there was a period, about three decades of Jesus' life, where Jesus is basically unknown. He has not preached a single sermon. He hasn't healed a single person on record. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't, you know, raised a single person back to life who died before. He's done nothing that made him a famous person later on in those thirty. Those first 30 years, and instead, for three decades, Jesus was just an obedient son living in a rural town called Nazareth, trying to honor his father and mother, being a good older brother to his younger siblings, helping his dad with the family business, you know, learning to deal with the difficulties of running a business, you know, dealing with hard clients, dealing with financial pressures, working for maybe less than what he'd ideally want, going to synagogue on the weekend, you know, you know, meditating on God's word, growing in his relationship with God. And the question is this, why would Jesus take 30 years to start his public ministry. If he's got the most important mission on earth, more important than anything else we will ever do, why is it that he took so long to get to it? Why, was, was he procrastinating? Was he nervous? Was he just kind of not really sure what to do? And then finally when he was 30, then he figured out? No, see, what, what, what is this? I, I want to tell you today is that it was all part of a process that Jesus had to go through to become the Savior that he needed to be. I don't know about you, but I can be a pretty impatient person. Any impatient people in this place? besides me? Anyone who struggles with impatience? Am I the only one? The fact is, I don't think I'm the only one. I can be pretty impatient, though. I I can feel like I'm impatient when I'm at Costco, and I'm lining up, and like... Okay, are you and you see these huge lines down Costco? I I can feel my impatience when you know I'm on Rust Baker way and it's bumper to bumper traffic and you are know, just not going anywhere. You know, I, I can feel my impatience when I'm on hold on the phone, kind of like uh, your call is important to us. Please hold and wait for the next available customer representative who'll be with you shortly. Your queue number is number 765, right? I feel impatient then. I feel it when I'm maybe with people who require a bit more patience from me. There, There are times when my patience is tested. Was your patience tested this past week? Maybe in traffic, maybe with a person. You know, and this is the thing. We can all struggle with impatience. And if I was Jesus and I knew that I'm called to change the world with my preaching, my teaching, my healing, my serving, my sacrificing. And I knew that though it would be not easy, it would be the hardest thing that anyone would ever do, but I would know that at the end of the day, I could soon go back to heaven to be with my Father in heaven. Then I would be thinking impatiently, you know what, let's do it already. I don't care if I'm just 15 years old. Let's do it. I don't care if I've just got peach fuzz on my face. Let's do it. Like, I, I don't care if I can't have, a, I don't have a driver's license. Let's just, let's just get it on already because I've been and I want to get it done and I want to get going on it. And here's a question for you today. Is there something in your life that you are impatient about? Is there something in your life right now where you are struggling to be patient? Where maybe you've worked really hard at that thing, but it's still not as far along as you'd like it to be. Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in a relationship that you care about. Maybe it's when it comes to your health or the health of someone you love. Maybe it's in your relationship with God. Maybe it's when it comes to a bad habit that you're trying to kick, and you put all this effort into it. You even pray about it, but then when you think of where you are and where you want to be, you feel like there's such a far distance to go go have you ever felt that way before because if you've ever felt that way before this message is for you maybe it's when it comes to your relationship with your kids and like man we're dealing with the same issue again when are we going to get past this? Or maybe when it comes to finding a future spouse. You're like, you know, five years ago, I was looking for a future spouse, and I still, I'm still waiting. Three years ago, I'm looking for a future spouse, and I'm still waiting. Today, in 2019, that future spouse is nowhere to be found, and I'm still waiting. And it's kind of like, man, why can't we be a bit further along? Maybe you even feel a little bit like you're like a, a plane that's just sitting on the tarmac, waiting, take off, waiting to take off. But you feel like for reasons beyond your control— You can't take off. You're just waiting. And just like, why are we waiting? Why the delay? Can we move already? Can we get going already? And maybe you feel like that in your life today. If that's you, then this message is for you. See, I believe this. I believe that the reason why verse 23 says it took Jesus about 30 years before he stepped into his public ministry was to teach us something very, very important that you need to know today. And you can write this down. And that is this, is that the best things in life take time to develop and are worth waiting for. The best things in life take time to develop and are worth waiting for. Can I get a good amen? See, as much as I'm a guy who can be impatient and who wants things done like yesterday, I've learned something, which is that whenever I'm facing a problem where there isn't an immediate solution, one of the best things that I can do is to give it time. And by give it time, I don't mean procrastinate, but what I mean by give it time is to give myself the time I need to let my thoughts develop on that issue, or give myself the time I need to mature so I'm more ready to face that issue, or to give myself the time I need to pray through that issue so I can get a sense of what God wants, or to give myself time to ask for advice and not just to do my own thing, or to give myself time to trust that God will work out his way. Because if I don't do this, if I don't give myself time, sometimes I will be inclined to just go for a shortcut, short-term solution that will end up getting me far less than what I wanted at the end. I'm making sense in this place right now. Sometimes we can be so caught up in wanting an answer now that we make a shortcut, and we settle for much less than God's best for us. Here, I want you to write this down today. When facing a problem you can't solve, sometimes the best thing to do is to give it time. Would you turn neighbor and say, give it time? In other words, be patient. In other words, give it time. Look at Proverbs 14, 29 with me in a big loud voice. Would you read it with me? What does it say? It says, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. See, let me ask you a question this morning. How do you give it time? Say you're struggling, you're waiting. Impatiently, and you're like, when is this going to finally happen? How do you practically give it time? And see, today I want to give you, I want to end by giving you four suggestions on how you can give it time. These are things that I'm learning in the process as well, and I hope you find it helpful. See, I, I got to say, incidentally, Luke doesn't say what exactly Jesus was up to between the ages of 12 and 30, before he launched his public ministry, but I can bet you that these four things we're going to talk about right now are four things that Jesus did during that time while he waited for his public ministry to launch. Why don't you write these four things down right now. Number one is this. See the waiting period as your training period. See your waiting period as your training period. Have you you guys ever watched the movie The Karate Kid? I'm not talking about the more recent reboot where it's Jackie Chan and Will Sun's, uh, uh, Will, sorry, Will Smith's son, but I'm talking about the original one back in the 80s with Ralph Macchio, and, and there's this guy called Daniel. He plays a guy called Daniel who's a new kid in town, and he moves to California from the east coast of the States, and he goes to this new school, and very soon into his time at this new school, he starts to get bullied. By these big guys who know karate and who like to pick on him, and so what does Daniel do? He decides to ask the janitor of the school, his name is Mr. Miyagi, to teach him some karate. You guys know this movie? Have you seen this movie before? Great movie. And see, here's the thing: is is oh, he 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 goes to Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi, and he says, Mr. Miyagi, I know you know karate. Could you please teach me? And he's like, Hi, hey, I teach. And then he says, he basically tells him, meet me at my house at 6 a.m. the next morning. So Daniel, all excited, he shows up at Mr. Maggie's house at 6 a.m. in the morning, and he's all excited to learn karate. He's like, wait, what's the first thing? Well, the punch, is the kick? And then Mr. Maggie goes, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And, he, and, and he, 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 he brings Daniel to the back of his house, where there's a big garage with all these cars. And he says, wash the car. And what he does, he, he gives him a, a, a sponge, and then he starts to wash the cars and he sa- and he also tells him, Wax the car. And he starts to wax the car. And, and about halfway through the day, you know, Daniel's already pretty tired trying to wax the car his own way. And then you know Mr. Miyagi comes up to Daniel and he goes, Daniel San, no 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 no. Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. And, and, and he starts to learn to do it Mr. Miyagi's way. And he's like, okay, weird, but I'll do it anyways. And he does that all day. He washes like 10, 11 cars. Waxes 10, 11 cars. And he goes home pretty tired. The next day, he wakes up and he shows up at Mr. Miyagi's house the next morning at 6 a.m. the same time. and says, okay, hey, I, that, yesterday was weird, but okay, I, I, I get what you're doing. I think, I think uh, you know, I, 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 I'm really serious, man. I, I'm, not, I'm really, really serious. So just please teach me some karate. He's like, oh, okay, eh, okay. You paint my fence. Paint my fence. And he gives him a a, a paint, like a a, a, a paint can with with a paintbrush. And he takes him outside to the backyard. And he says, this is how you paint my fence. Up. Down. Up down and and he says paint all the fence and so and so daniel's son he paints all the fence the next day his arms are tired his shoulders are sore he comes back the next day and he's like come on can we please learn some karate now he's saying that under his breath but he's like okay mr maggie what else do you want me to do today he's like okay today sand the floor and he takes gives him some sandpaper and he gets on his knees and he goes sand the floor sand the floor and, and, and Daniel is, after, after, after about three, four days, Daniel's really frustrated. He's like, I came here to learn karate, and he's making me a maid in his home. And so he gets up to Mr. Mwangi and he goes, what are you doing? I was here to learn from you, and you're just taking advantage of me and, giving, and, and letting you have free labor. And, and Mr. is like, no, 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 no. Show me. Wax on, wax off. And he's like, uh, oh, and, and, show me. Wax on, wax off. And what it is that? It turns out that wax on, wax off is not about waxing cars. Wax on, wax off, wax off is about blocking punches, right? And then he says, show me, paint the fence. And, and he's like, oh, oh. And, and it turns out that paint the fence is not just about paint the fence. Paint the fence is about scaring your opponent, right? Or something like that. And, and see, and, and see here, here's the thing, is that in, in the process of learning all of these chores he was actually learning karate. And why do I mention that? It's because through this weird s- process that didn't make any sense to Daniel's son at all, Daniel was like, what am I possibly learning? This is all so meaningless. It doesn't make any sense to me. But at the end of that process, he realized that Mr. Miyagi was training him. And see, why do I mention that? Because maybe today you're going through a process or a situation right now that doesn't make any sense to you. And you think to yourself, why am I getting involved in some insignificant, meaningless things that have no bearing on my future later on? Like, social studies, nine. What does that have anything to do with my goal to be American Idol one day? You know, what, what does that have anything to do with it? And, and, see, and you think to yourself, like, why do I have to even go through this? When can I get onto things that really matter in life? But see, God has a reason for allowing these things. These, what you think are insignificant, meanless situations, meanless responsibilities that you have. What is he doing? He's training you. Turn to neighbor and say, he's training you. See, sometimes that training process is not going to make sense to you, but he's teaching you some important lessons that you otherwise might not learn. He's training you in skills that you need to get to do greater things later on. If you believe us, say amen. Look at Hebrews 12, 11. What does it say? Read in loud voice. One, two, three. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See? There is a training process that God gets you to go through. And if you want to reduce the waiting time, if you want to give it time, one of the best things you can do to learn patience is to treat the time you're going through now not as torture, but as training. This is God training you to learn skills and to learn lessons that you might not otherwise learn that you need for the future. And as part of that, look at number two and write this down. Be faithful in the little things. If you want to learn to give it time, be faithful in the little things. Look at Luke chapter 16 verse 10 with me right now. Read in big loud voice. One, two, three. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. See, this is God's principle. Promotion. See, you're going to find this over and over in scripture. Take David, for example. David, he was anointed to be the king of Israel at 16 years old. To be the next king of Israel at 16 years old. He's just a teenager. He can barely drive, and yet he's anointed the next king of Israel at 16 years old. But you know what happens? You know when he finally becomes the king of Israel? Not until 14 years later. He doesn't become king at 16, he's anointed king at 16, he's appointed king at 30. And in between his anointing and his appointing is a period called his training. And during this training period, he was learning to be faithful in the little things. For example, do you know what were David's three jobs when he first got anointed as the next king? It wasn't a royal job, like standing with a scepter on a throne. But rather, it was three jobs. Your first job, taking care of stinky, stupid, slow sheep. That's the first job. Second, delivering food to his older brothers. Third, learning to serve the crazy current king, his name is Saul, whom he would one day replace. Now, if these were David's three jobs and I was David, I might think to myself, you know what? Hey, I'm the next king. I don't have to be serving and taking care of sheep this way, these slow, stupid sheep. Or like, why do I have to deliver food to my brothers? I'm the next king. They should be delivering food to me. You know, who says I'm supposed to be like their errand boy or deliver the food? Like you know, skip the dishes or you you Uber eats. I'm not that. I'm the next king. Or or you'll be like, you know what? Why should I serve King Saul? Like he's he's crazy, and I'm going to replace him. I might as well replace him now. And see, what was that? Is that David, you, you have no evidence in the Bible that David thought that way because David had this principle in his mind is that whoever is faithful with a little is gonna be faithful with a lot. And so in the meantime, while I wait for my time to come, I'm going be faithful in the little things, amen. And it's in being faithful to little things that David learned some skills, some lessons that would become so key to him being king one day. Lessons like how to be a servant, how to make wise decisions, how to keep your promises, how to deal with stress, how to control your temper, how to lead a team, how to shepherd people, how to fight for what's right, how to respect the office of the king, and how to trust God that his timing is better and better than yours. If you believe it, say amen. If David had been taking the throne at 16 years old, he would not have been ready. He was anointed at sixteen. He was appointed at thirty because those fourteen years were necessary for him to learn to be trained and to be faithful in the little things and not just david you 'll find that with Moses, Moses, the prince of Egypt, he becomes a shepherd out in the wilderness and then he comes back to lead the people of Egypt. He had to go through a tra- training period of being of, of forty years of learning to be faithful in the little things Joseph same thing before he 's the prime minister of Egypt, he goes through all these different awesomely menial jobs like serving as a maid and being a prison warden doing all these things until the day when he learned to be faithful in little things and then god promoted him to bigger things it's because here's the thing between your anointing and your appointing there's a period called your training where you learn to be faithful in the little things and so this coming week what do you want me to do what what do i want you to do i want you to learn to be faithful in the little things, those things that you think are so insignificant, how you talk to your parents, how you talk to your spouse, how you talk to your kids, how you deal with that one situation no one else knows about, be faithful in the little things, because whoever can be trusted with a little can be trusted with a lot, that's how you give give it time, that's how you grow in patience, if you believe that, say amen, is this helpful in this place so far, amen, number two, number three, number three is this, every day choose an attitude Of gratitude if you want to reduce the time of waiting or at least make it not feel like you're waiting all the time choose an attitude of gratitude you know about 16 years ago I was a young articling student at a law firm and I was you know working at one of the biggest firms in the country and there's hundreds of lawyers in this firm and I'm learning to be a lawyer at that time and I remembered like that there's this one girl who's a bit ahead of me she's maybe a couple years uh, ahead of me she's a young lawyer And we are working together on this transaction. There's a lot of late nights, a lot of overtime. We're working with a team. And this team, we're working to late nights, like 10 a.m., the 10 p.m., 11 p.m. We're all there, and people want to go home. People are tired. And while we're waiting, I remember there's one time when we're waiting for one of my colleagues to finish drafting this document. And this girl, I still remember this, like it was like yesterday, but it was like 16, 17 years ago. And this girl, she's married, and she said to me this. She said, you know, Justin, because that's what you know JB stands for. Justin, like, you know, like, because we started talking about our families for some reason. And he said, you know, one thing that I'm really thankful for about my husband is this, is that no matter how late I come home from work, when I get home and I go to our bedroom, I'll always see him lying on my side of the bed. And then he'll then, when he sees me, he'll roll over onto his side of the bed. And the reason is because he, he wants me to be able to come home to a warm bed. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah? And, and, I, and, and she started to tear up. She started to cry when she said that. And it was one of those things where she's like, you know what? So even though we're waiting right now, I'm just really thankful. And she started to tear. And, and it, it was one of those moments when it just made you think and made you realize, you know what? You could be in a period of waiting right now, but there's still many things to be thankful for. You have blessings in your life, even in the situation that might not be ideal, and you can thank God for them. And when you thank God for them, the waiting gets easier. You can, in fact, reduce the time of waiting, or at least not feel like you're waiting all the time, if you will choose an attitude of gratitude. If you believe, us, say amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says it this way. Read with me in loud voice. What does it say? It says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you have an attitude of gratitude today? Are you someone who chooses that? See, attitude of gratitude is a choice you make. It's not just, oh, I feel thankful or I'll wait till I feel thankful. But you choose your attitude. And if you have trouble choosing your attitude, you know what's a great way to start choosing an attitude of gratitude? Do the game time challenge. He says that, 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 that's our, our challenge to you, to every day put on an attitude of praise. Every day put on an attitude of worshiping God. Every day, no matter what you're going through, put on an attitude of thanks, because when you do, life is so much better with God than without. If you believe that, say amen. Number four, and we're going to close. If you want to give it time and learn to be patient through the process, then why don't you write this one last one down. Trust God to make all things beautiful in his time. See, according to Luke, it took Jesus about 78 generations before he arrived into this world. And it took another 30 years after he was born before he'd preach his first sermon. God was not in a hurry, obviously. And I find this, something I've learned about God is this, is that when God wants to do something great, he takes his time. He's not a procrastinating God. He's also not a God who just kind of wings it and kind of just like spontaneous, oh, whatever, I'll just do this. No, but he, he plans it out. He takes his time, especially for the greatest things that he does. The plan of salvation, to send Jesus Christ as the Son of God, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise, again from the dead. That was the plan from the very beginning of time. He takes his time. And what I find with God is the way he works with us is that God doesn't work in a microwave. He works more like a crock pot. He doesn't do things instantaneously all the time, but he lets things brew and stew, and sit there for a while, because he's doing work in that slower kind of process. You know, when, when my son Bradley was just over a year old, and I don't even even remembers this, but when he was about a year old, uh, he loved watching planes, just loved planes. And, um, you know, I remember three or four times a week, I'd pick him up, and I'd put him in the stroller, and uh, I'd take him outside in the stroller, and we walked walk down to the dike where across from the dike, you see all these planes taking off. And I just remember watching these planes, and one day I noticed something, which is that you've got all different sizes of planes. You've got small planes, like sea planes. You've got big commercial airplanes. And I was just noticing take off. And this, you know what I noticed? I noticed that the small planes, the sea planes, that don't go very far, that don't go very fast, that don't go very, fi- very high, they don't need a lot of time on the ground before they all of a sudden they take off, and they're already in the air. But then they come down, pretty quickly after that. But when it comes to the big planes, the big commercial planes that go across countries, that go super far, that go super high, beyond the clouds, that these planes take a long time on the, on the ground, is that they, they don't just kind of go and take off right away, but, but they spend a lot of time just sitting there. People are refueling, restocking, resupplying, doing checks, doing all that stuff, training people, all that stuff. And then and, and after a while, when they start, finally get going, they're not even in the air yet. For the, what feels like the longest time—they're just on the ground, and they're just moving, but they're still on the ground, moving, but still on the ground. Finally, it's almost to the point where you're not sure if they're ever going to take off. And then finally, they start to take off, and they go higher and farther and faster than any small seaplane could ever go. And when I saw that, I felt that the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart on that day. You know, this is back when our church was a lot smaller, and I felt like God was saying to me, "JB, don't despise your time on the ground." Don't despise your time on the ground, because that time on the ground is not torture, it's training. That time on the ground is not insignificant, it's crucial. That time on the ground is what you need so that one day you can take off and go higher and further and farther and faster than you ever thought possible. And maybe you're here today and you feel like a grounded plane. You're like, when can we finally take off? When can my love life take off? When can my business take off? When can my marriage finally be the marriage that I married this person for? When can my health be better? When can my prayer be answered? When can that process be better? When can those things finally take off? When can my ministry finally get to the where I want to be? You know, and and if, if you're here in this place today, can I tell you this? Don't despise your time on the ground. Because I'll tell you this. You weren't made to be some itty-bitty small seaplane that just rises up so quickly, but then you come right back down. You were made to be a big airliner, a big commercial plane, where you spend the time on the ground because that time on the ground is necessary because one day, as you spend that time on the ground, you're gonna take off. And you're gonna take off faster and farther and higher than anything that you could ever imagine. But you need that time on the ground, amen. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. You need that time on the ground. Without that time on the ground, you're not going anywhere. Without that time on the ground, you're not going very far. But when you have that time on the ground, it's that time when God prepares you for something that's far greater than anything you could imagine yourself. And so if you're looking at your future today and going, when will it take off? When you're looking at your marriage you're going, when will this take off? When you're looking at your ministry, you're going, when will this take off? When you're looking at your finances or your business saying, going, when will this take off? When you look at your love life and going, when will this take off? Can I tell you this? God's gonna make all things beautiful in this time. He knows what he's doing even more than you do. Ecclesiastes three eleven says it this way. Read with me. It's the last verse for us this morning. What does it say? It says, "He has made everything beautiful in its time." Let me sum it up for you this way: Is that many of you here? You might find that you are in a waiting period of your life right now, waiting to get married, or waiting for that thing to happen, or waiting for some news, or waiting for that habit to finally break, or waiting for that relationship with God to grow. And you're just doing these things. You're praying. You're working hard, but you're still waiting. Can I tell you this today? is that in every waiting period that you go through, there are four things that are in your favor. The first thing is that there are lessons to learn. There's ways that God wants to teach you, to refine you, make you stronger. There's lessons to learn. Second is that there's blessings to thank God for. It's not all bad. In fact, there's so much good in the season of waiting. Third is that you've got talents you can use, opportunities that are in front of you that you can make the most out of. And if you will do something with them, God's gonna teach you something through them. And number four is you got God to rely on through every day that you have to wait and see in other words what is this what is the point of all that is that you church have everything you need during this time of waiting you're not lacking a thing and so you don't have to be in a rush to say when can we finally make a big give it time give it time by learning every lesson that God wants you to learn give it time by thanking God for every blessing that you would otherwise take for granted Give it time by putting in the work and putting your talents to work because God is watching if we're faithful in the little things. Give it time by trusting that God will work all things out in a beautiful way, far better than anything you could ever write for yourself. If you believe that, would you give God a big hand and a big shout in this place this morning? Amen. Amen. Would you stand up on your feet? I want you to remember today, church, is that the best things in life, the best things in life, everyone say the best things in life. The best things in life take time. The best things in life are worth waiting for. The best marriages, the best families, the best ministries, the best teams, the best companies, the best lives are worth waiting for. But they take time to develop. But they're worth waiting for. Turn neighbor, give him a high five and say, "Just give it time." Just give, Just give it, time. it time. Turn neighbor, tell him, "Just give it time." And give God a big hand, a big shout in this place this morning. Let's respond to God. I'm going to ask our team to lead us in a song. I'll lead you in prayer after that. And today, you know, we've been learning about God's amazing love for you and for me. And one of the biggest things I need to let you know today is that because God loves you so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, to show you that his love for you is unconditional. It's unlimited. It's unchanging. It's not based on your performance. It's based on who He is. And the Bible says God is love. And so today, if you want to receive the forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, if you want to ask Jesus to come and to forgive you of your sins, if you want to ask Jesus to to be your Savior today, uh, then we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. It's as simple as praying a prayer. If that's what you want to do, you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you want to invite Him to forgive you of your sins today then why don't you just raise your hand to heaven right now. Don't worry about your neighbor's doing. You just respond to God right now with faith, with thanks. Just respond to God right now. Lift your hand to God. Lift your hand to heaven today. Don't worry about your neighbor's doing. You just hold your hand up to God. Let let your hand be lifted high to reflect how much you need Jesus today. Let the hand be reflected high to to just say how thankful you are that he died on the cross for you. And we're just going to pray together right now those of you who prayed this before why don't you pray with those who are praying for the first time and let's pray this together receive Jesus into our lives today you can say dear Jesus, dear Jesus I thank you, I thank you for, your love, for your amazing love how you died on the cross, how you on the cross to, pay sins, to pay for my sins how you rose again and you rose to again, give me life, to me life and so today, so today I, place my faith I place my faith in you Jesus, in you, Jesus. I ask you I ask please you forgive me of my sins. Forgive my sins please come into my Heart please count me to and heart. be my savior and be my savior. and be my king and be my king because you're the one that I need, you're the one I so, need. I so I open up my life and say, Please come in. And say please come in, forgive me of my sins, my sin. and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you that today, that today I'm a child of God, and the best is yet to in come. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give our Savior a big hand? We show this place together right now.